The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now I'm joined in studio by Minister of Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science and the man who is the uh, Fidegrail TD for Wicklow, Simon Harris. Minister, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now you came in to tell us the good news about apprenticeships. Yes, I'm really pleased this morning to be publishing figures that show last year was a record year. The highest number of people ever uh, took up an apprentice, but nearly 9,000 people, 8,712 newly registered apprentices. And just to give people some context, that figure was just over 5,000 in 2020. So we're talking about a 63% increase in the number of people who've taken an apprenticeship. How many of those were in novel courses, the ones that you read, the, you introduce, rather than, you know, the existing courses getting more numbers? So 6,588 of them were in what we call the craft and the trade areas. And that basically means, for, for, for the purpose of listeners, that effectively is massively good news for our construction sector. It means after years of that sector being decimated, after people knowing what happened when the financial crash came and people emigrated and there weren't people to build homes, we've now seen 6,588 people registering to do things like become an electrician, become a plumber, become a bricklayer. Really positive news. The remainder, the rest, uh, were in some of the newer courses that we've developed. And, and I suppose that is a key message. There's now over 70 apprenticeship programmes in Ireland. So you can do an apprenticeship in the, in the traditional trades and the crafts and we need lots more people doing that to meet our country's targets. But you can also now do an apprenticeship in a whole variety of other areas including three we introduced in agriculture um, this year as well. Now, the new courses that you're proposing for 24, 25, I suppose, what are they and where are they? So there's 17 new courses that we intend to develop uh, between, as you say, this year and into early next year. They include some very exciting areas. Um, The one I'm most excited about is the area of social work. And this will actually be at a level nine, so effectively a master's qualification. And again, that's a message I want to get. And what's the entry criterion for for that? Do you have to have a primary degree in something else? Yes, in all likelihood you will, with the usual exceptions in relation to, in relation to masters, but yes, and that's we're developing that uh, with UCC currently. Uh, really, really good work going on, and it's an example of where we have identified, or industry has identified, the and the education sector has identified a, a gap. We don't have enough social workers in Ireland, so we have to not just increase the number of people in college studying social work. We have to diversify the pathways, and we know that there we all learn in different ways. We all come to education from different backgrounds, and we know the apprenticeship model, where you earn and learn, uh, can be a very attractive one. It can also be extremely beneficial to the public service because people are out in the workplace uh, as they're learning as well. We'll also develop an apprenticeship as a paramedic um, and also, again, a level eight and a master's in civil engineering and then also more in the construction area in roofing um, and cladding. So today we've published a, a full list that's available on my department's uh, website showing the 17 new areas that we intend to develop. And that will bring Ireland close to 100 apprenticeship programmes. And we're very much on track. In yeah. fact, we're now ahead of target to reach 10,000 newly registered apprentices every year by 2025. Now, now, you've actually talked about two areas where we know we're short of people. Social work, uh, we know that uh, too many social workers have too many cases. The case load is too high, so the job does not get done uh, properly. And then paramedics, you know, talking about ambulances, we need... I don't know how many ambulances, 80 more in one particular HSE area. Perhaps we need hundreds right around the country to make sure that uh, when reluctantly ambulances have to stay outside the ED waiting for their patient to be admitted, that uh, someone else is not left waiting. 
Yeah, and look, when I took up this role uh, three years ago and decided that apprenticeships were going to be a real focus because I thought they'd provide more pathways and opportunities for young and not so young people to get the career they wanted. But I also saw an opportunity for apprenticeships to really help meet the skills shortages that exist in our country. Because I have no doubt that there are people today listening to this programme, perhaps people who didn't get an opportunity um, to, to go on in education, who now wish to return to education and want to play a part, maybe in the health service, maybe in the construction sector. And the apprenticeship route's a really good way in because you get an income uh, as you're studying mm. and you can't be expecting somebody with life commitments uh, to enter education, meet costs and not get mm. an income. Uh, just looking at the, the list, apprenticeships in development, executive chef, yep. preci- precision machinist and quality control, digital marketing, civil engineering, stud farm management, robotics and automation, immersive technology, barbering, beauty therapy, advanced manufacturing engineer, roofing and cladding, accounting technologist, software solutions, architect, social work, firefighters, paramedics, uh, customs compliance associate. Is that Brexit related? I presume it probably, probably is. is. Yes. Uh, data analytics, geospatial survey technician, professional procurement purchasing associate, uh, social and affordable housing and housing services. These are, t- are in the process of being developed. How geographically spread are they going to be? Very is the answer because um, they are obviously based with employers. So any employer uh, can get involved and we have our education. We now are using both our education and training boards, the ETBs and our technological universities and our traditional universities to deliver a programme. So one of the criticisms in the past might have been that there was a limited number of locations in which you could take up an apprenticeship. I'm really pleased to say now that our universities are getting on board with this agenda as well. So and I suppose the other point I'd really want to make to people is we don't we don't kind of we don't kind of sit in an office and dream up these apprenticeships or decide randomly to develop a new apprenticeship course or to put it in a certain part of the country. Industry and education providers come to the department, come to the apprenticeship council and they say we would like to develop it. So if you were an employer in the public or private sector today or you're a university or an education provider and you say I, I identify a gap here, there's something we need to do here. Well, we can actually all work together to develop a specific apprenticeship programme to meet that skills need or indeed to meet that geographic need. Now, the portal by which people access all of these Uh, How is it going to be done? So you can log on to apprenticeship.ie and on apprenticeship.ie you can find out details about what is an apprenticeship, how does an apprenticeship work and indeed see available apprenticeships uh, to apply for. What people, I suppose, need to know is an apprenticeship um, is like applying for a job and it is up. You do need to find an employer either in the public or private sector. We've made it easier for employers to get involved now by providing financial assistance. So the state is now offering every single employer involved in apprenticeship, some level of financial assistance per apprentice each and every year. So apprenticeship.ie is the, is the go-to place. Yeah. And for uh, younger people doing the Leaving Cert? Well, I've been in, in over 80 secondary schools in the last uh, year. I'm going to visit another one after I finish here. And everywhere we're going, we're taking this message to people that third level education comes in many shapes and sizes. The traditional university route is absolutely one, but so too is an apprenticeship. And to any mom or dad listening to this programme, please know that you get the qualification at the end. It is the same qualification as if you go the traditional degree route, for want of a better phrase. You can get a level six, a level seven, a level eight, a level nine. You can even do a level 10. Uh, okay, so people who feel that university is beyond them in terms of their financial resources, this is still a way of getting to your final destination in a more affordable way because there will be an income attached. Yeah, I suppose one of the benefits is that you do get you do get an income as you do an apprenticeship. But I would also point out to anybody who wants to access university, we have nearly half of students in universities now benefiting uh, from student grants uh, or support from the student grant service in some way. And we did reduce college fees by a thousand euro 
uh, for 96,000 families again this year. So I suppose the message here is there's lots of different ways to get to your destination in terms of education and career and apprenticeship is definitely worth looking at. And it's key not just for the student, but for making sure we can build enough houses, advance our climate agenda and meet the skills needs of the public service. Um, all good news there. Now, uh, some of us were a little bit dismayed uh, when we read the news overnight that uh, some of those who had illegally entered the country via a refrigerated container into Rosslare had gone AWOL. And then the guards are not interested. Now, as far as just a superficial reading of this, these people enter the country illegally. And yet the guardi have no interest in them. I don't know what the nuance is, but the message is there for anyone who manages to get in. No one's going to chase you. So I, I don't agree with that fundamentally, but I, I, I'm glad to have the chance to expand on it because I, I can see why people may think that. So, so there's two things to say here. Firstly, in relation to the people who came into the country um, in very difficult and horrific circumstances, the refrigerated container. I think the first and most important thing is not to look at this from a migration point of view, but look at it from a humanitarian point of view. We're talking about but, potentially... But they were being I, I, well looked after. And I want to get to, the, I get to the migration bit in a moment. But the, but the, the message bit here is, is, is quite important to, to those people. They, they could well be quite vulnerable and we want them to reconnect with state services. On the broader point, in relation to migration, uh, there is no legal requirement on anybody to remain in a set location. That is the same to any individual who comes into the country today. You do register though. You do register uh, with our International Protection Service um, when you enter our country and as part of that registration process you are fingerprinted. Uh, we do have details in relation to where you are intending to stay. We do have details in terms of how you came into the country. We do have do details I mean? that we can run like, against uh, databases is, internationally This is uh, well. like the way the, the system works and that's fine. Mm. But when you get eight people of 14 who came in and then suddenly go missing, the message to those, anyone who can manage to get in, whether it's over the border from Northern Ireland or in a container or trafficked in some way, that once they get in, we're not going to be looking for them. No, you see, I, I suppose there's two separate issues. I think the Gardaí were answering the question in relation to was there kind of a criminal reason or a reason why they'd be actively involved in looking. And, and, the, and the truth is there isn't. Is it not a but, crime but there, to but enter the country illegally? It is, you, once you enter the country, uh, and again, I think the phrase the phrase illegally is is charged. Once well, you, if once you come you enter, in in a container, yeah. you're clearly not coming in by the normal route. No, that's correct, and this is and there's quite particular circumstances in this case for that reason. But once you come into a country and seek asylum or enter the refugee process, there is a process and that process discharges itself in terms of assessing your application. If at the end of that process you're not entitled to remain in Ireland, um, deportation procedures do follow. And as the Minister for Justice made clear yesterday, more than 800 deportation orders uh, were issued during the course of 2023. So I do not want any listener to think that anybody who comes into our country seeking asylum or seeking refuge, um, that they can just kind of, um, they can just kind of thwart the system. The system has very strict rules that are applied and are being applied quicker and more efficiently than they were yeah. even only a year ago. So the deportation process uh, yeah. is, is the ultimate. Now, uh, for there, there was a lot of right uh, talk about Ireland being uh, a mecca for people who are seeking international protection and uh, for those who manage to get here, our social welfare system and so on. Ukrainians, of course, have a right legally to come here in, in any numbers uh, that uh, can make it here. But the changes in the rules, which went to cabinet, I think, on Tuesday, that would reduce the amount paid to Ukrainians to the level that is paid to asylum seekers, seems to suggest that the government admits it got it wrong. 
No, not at all. I mean, but why change then? If, because, if what you were doing was right, uh, why change it? Because what we were doing was entirely right. Uh, what we were doing, I think, was what the Irish people expected us to do. We were being compassionate and humane and we wish to remain both uh, to people fleeing a war on the continent of Europe. We were standing by Ukraine, Ukrainian people, families fleeing war, and we were standing up for democracy and against tyranny. As the war has gone on, uh, and the longer that it has gone on, and the longer period of time Ireland and other countries have had to respond and open their doors, their homes, their communities, it is important that we move from, let's call it an emergency response, to a more sustainable system so that we can continue to provide that humanity and that compassion. And that's why we're taking the steps to continue to well support people who come to this country. And I think that would be widely recognised by the Ukrainian population here. But to put measures in place that, as I say, are no longer the emergency measures, but more the sustainable measures. Um, I, I, I just, I, I do find the last number of days in particular particular. I, I think somehow the bigger picture has been lost about the benefit of immigration. I mean, I was a justice minister. I know very, very much the importance of a rules-based immigration system. I believe passionately in it. In any country, in any democracy, when you welcome people into the country, there has to be, have you a right to be here or not? And if you don't have a right to be here, you have to, you have to leave. But Ireland is the better for immigration. And, you know, if there's anybody listening to this in a hospital today, just just look around the hospital. If there's anybody listening to this in a restaurant or a cafe today, just look around the restaurant or the cafe. You know, if there's anybody in a construction site today, our homes are being built by people who have come to this country. Our people are are being looked after. Our mothers and fathers and grandparents are being cared for in nursing homes. And yes, there's an extraordinary challenge going on in relation to migration and accommodation. An extraordinary one. And we have to communicate with with communities and we have to work our way through things. But let's let's not convince ourselves that all of a sudden immigration is is a bad or nasty thing. Mm. But we are we the better for we, it. We seem to be scrambling still, you know, looking for places to put uh, people seeking international protection. Uh, groups of young men particularly seems to be a particularly uh, difficult one. And, and the problem seems to be that, that there's a perception that it's not maybe fair. You get a tiny rural town and you get a big influx, which changes the balance of the population very dramatically. Whereas in Dublin, for example, if you have a, an extra thousand people coming in, no one would actually notice very much that the population had changed yeah. in terms of levels of service and all of those things. But in rural Ireland, they say we are you know, doing all the heavy lifting. And I can understand where are the empty hotels? Rural Ireland. Where are the old facilities that are no longer used as nursing homes? Rural Ireland. So I can understand yeah. the availability... Yeah is there, whereas not in the cities. But people feel, you know, our community is going to change too too fast, yeah. too much and too fast. So look, there's a couple of parts to that. I think, firstly, there's been 190 contracts placed in relation to international protection accommodation in and all 26 counties in Ireland. On top of that, there's been about 850 accommodation contracts in relation to Ukraine. So every part of Ireland has played its part. And I think if there were people listening to this in Dublin, and if there were public representatives in Dublin, I think they might be texting you or ringing in and saying, hang on a second, actually, our part of Dublin, our community has welcomed a lot of people and taken a lot of people into. I do accept the point, though, if this is the point, that... The emergency response situation does cause and can cause legitimate questions to be raised in communities. And we need to be very, very careful um, as a government and, and, and as, as people commenting in general, not to, to label everybody who raises a question or a concern. It is perfectly legitimate for a community to seek information on what's happening in their area. If a new housing estate was being built where I live, I guarantee you people would want to know how many houses, how many people, what will the impact be on school places? That is appropriate and legitimate. Obviously, there are others who seek to pray and divide, and that's a very different matter. And we need to make sure we don't conflate the two. But I do want to say to people this. The government's intention, and, and it must be, to move again from this emergency response that you've alluded to, to a more sustainable model. Because the truth of the matter, and let's be 
absolutely blunt here. The truth of the matter is, at the moment, we've gone from around 8,575 people seeking accommodation uh, in February 2022 to over 100,000 people oh. between fleeing Ukraine and international protection. And we are having to do exactly as you say, Pat. We are having to identify accommodation where it can be found to make it available, to put shelter, to put a roof, to be hum- humane and decent to people seeking it. But that is not the government policy going forward. We want to be less reliant on the private market. Minister O'Gorman is going to bring forward proposals as to how we start to develop our own sustainable model. Because I understand entirely as a constituency TD, if you see the local hotel being used and you're hoping the local hotel could reopen and bring tourists into the community, I get that. So the plan, what we're doing at the moment is an emergency response to a very significant crisis, not just in Ireland, but around the world. It is not the sustainable and long-term plan. And Minister O'Gorman intends to bring plans to Cabinet in the coming weeks that will move us to that place. You've been very critical of, of Sinn Féin who are calling for you know, some sort of mature conversation uh, about immigration and so on. Um, yesterday we had Eamon Ryan in, uh, your cabinet colleague, and I pushed him on whether they would coalesce with Sinn Féin. And his answer was, if they're green enough, if they go with the green agenda, the answer is yes. What say you? Well, the first thing I say is kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, is the Pope not going to be a Catholic anymore? Because I think for Sinn Féin to show green credentials would be a new thing. Because on any of the difficult and hard decisions that have to be taken in relation to climate action, um, I think Minister Ryan has made the point that Sinn Féin policy has been extraordinarily disappointing. Look, there'll be a general election in due course. The three parties in government will contest that election independently. But I hope and I think I instinctively believe that if you... If you think the government's doing an all right job, people may end up transferring from one party to the other instinctively. And there will be a real choice at the next election. There will be a choice between centrist politics uh, and people who will tell the truth and policies will be realistic and people who will engage in the uh, whatever you're having yourself politics, the, the populist politics. And we've seen a lot of that from Sinn Féin. But don't politicians the all the time try to do things and say things that will get them elected? Well, politicians, of course, try to get elected, uh, but politicians also have a duty to explain to people how they're going to do things. And we've seen one one incredible example recently from Sinn Féin where they've said something in the hope that it would be extraordinarily popular, but won't tell anybody how they'll do it. And that is the idea of reducing a house price to €300,000 in Dublin. Um, and I think well, I, think I did comment on on air about that because it struck me that the only thing that will do that is a massive recession. Correct. So is it now the policy of the wannabe government to plunge the country into recession? Hardly. So if that's not the policy, can Deputy Mary Lou Macdonald come on this program whenever she whenever she's available and explain to you how you reduce house prices from four hundred and thirty thousand on average to three hundred thousand without a recession, uh, without plunging people into negative equity, without destroying people's loan to value ratio and the impacts that that would have on their mortgage interest rates? The point I'm making is. When you're in opposition and when you're a populist party, it's easy to say something that people go, yeah, that's a nice idea. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we all like that? It's much harder to actually show how you get there. But and don't Ireland most is not governments have to, to renege on some of their electoral promises as, as aspiring parties? Well, look, of course, when you get into coalition governments and the likes, you have to agree programmes for government. But that's very different to getting all the big calls wrong. I mean, this is a party that's voted against every single referendum. Um, in relation to Europe, including the one to join it. It's a party that, and I think the public overwhelmingly seemed to agree with this in polls, got their response to Dublin riots extraordinarily wrong. Their first response to the Dublin riots was, how can we exploit this for political gain? It was a party when they were asked, 
how many new houses would you build in the first year in your government? They couldn't answer the question. It's a party that says they want to do more on health than the government, but allocated less in their alternative budget than we did. So elections matter. And when we get to an election, it can't just be about the opposition saying we don't like the government. It actually has to be about honesty and showing people how you're going to do things. Mm. And we'll have one hell of a contest and I'm really looking forward to it. But when you uh, kind of uh, big up uh, Sinn Féin and uh, what you maintain, are there uh, elements of misinformation about what they could do and so on? Uh, you know, methinks he doth protest too much, like you give them more credit perhaps than you should. Oh, well, I, well, well I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that other than to say this. I mean, the reality is in opinion polls today, they are the most popular party in Ireland. And I am not going to quietly drift into the next election without calling out populist politics when I see it. Because I do think sometimes in this country we can engage in a little bit of a sneering about what happens abroad. People can say, God, how did they ever elect Donald Trump in America? Isn't that awful? How did Brexit ever happened in Britain, isn't that awful? Well, populist politics is real in Ireland as well. And we've seen it in relation to a number of issues. We've seen it in relation to the migration debate. And we do see it on a very regular basis from the main opposition party. There's real challenges in this country. There's real challenges in this world. But it is a time for serious politics, not just what's the latest soundbite or the latest headline policy I can announce to get me through the interview or to make me popular in an opinion poll. The people deserve better than that. Minister for Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science, Finnegal TD for Wicklow. Simon Harris, thank you very much for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.